get to take my mask off. <laughs> now, I can't see anybody smiling, so you'll have to make lots of noise this morning. So, I, hey, there we go. So, I know you're with me. <laughs> what a great song, eh? Death was arrested and my life began. Wasn't that our experience, eh? Wasn't that so true? Well, Easter, resurrection. What a great opportunity to be able to share God's word today. And I've just got one verse which I'm hinging my message on. It comes from 1 Timothy 1 verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God, our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So I'm sharing about hope today. And, um, you know, Easter, you know, it's when we celebrate the resurrection, isn't it? That's what is in the church calendar. The resurrection is not just a story. It's not a bedtime story. It's not a fable. It's not just something that finished up in a book that a bunch of guys invented. As Ben shared, that stone was rolled away by an angel. Jesus was risen. It is a fact. It's a historical fact. I mean, if you were a a historian and you abided by the rules of history, you, you could not dispute it. Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, the whole thing about hope and Easter is all about a Messiah. And Israel had, from the very beginning, a hope. I was thinking about this during the week. I was thinking about hope. I was thinking about God, God put hope from the very beginning. I thought, you know, the whole story, this is his story, isn't it? And it's our story. And um, God sort of kicked things off with creation. It was really good. We really got off to a good start. By chapter, I don't know, two, we arrived. And, uh, you know, we, we, we blew it. We made a mess of things, but um, long comes God with this prophetic word from the very beginning. He says, "Behold, he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all lives, lie, livestock." He's talking to the devil here. He's talking to this snake, and it says, "And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put." Em- I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, which is us, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We will bruise his head, you know. And Jesus came, he was our Messiah and he conquered the enemy and he, he crushed him, he defeated him, he rose from the dead. And, you know, that hope was from the very beginning and all of the Bible weave through every part of it is these promises and these prophecies and these images and these types of a Messiah coming and that hope that was in our hearts from the very beginning that we were crushed, we were defeated, God had put hope in our hearts and I just want to share about hope today. Jesus the Messiah was openly crucified, clearly dead, buried for three days. Buried for three days, I'd say that's dead. I think someone shared on this last week too. He's raised to life and he hangs around Jerusalem for 40 more days. I'd say that's good evidence. He says he appeared, he, he, he appeared to the women first because they, they believed. The blokes didn't believe them. 
But then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 at one time. I would say that's not a hallucination. 500 people seeing the Messiah, most of whom are still alive. They were still alive at that point. The resurrection is the greatest story of hope. You know, it is so good. I just so love that story at the end of Luke. I'm just going to skip around all sorts of little bits about hope today. And um, I love this story in Luke where after Jesus is dead, buried, and, and all their hope is gone, there's these two disciples who just sort of think, oh, well, that's it. Let's, let's pack up and go home. And they walk seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking with each other about all these things that have happened, it says. And Jesus draws near. Jesus comes close to them. And they start to talk. And he asks them, you know, what are you talking about? What is, what is the problem, you know? Where is all this discouragement coming from? Where is all this... Ah, sense of defeat and lack of hope, you know. And they start to talk to him and they say, are you just a visitor here? You know, where have you been type of talk? Who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things, you know? I just love it, isn't he? This guy's cool, you know. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was to redeem us. He was the one, you know? He was the one. That's what was in their hearts. And then Jesus talks a bit more, and he says to them, "'O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken,' Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then they, you know, have a bit of communion, breaking the bread, and suddenly their eyes are opened, it says, and they recognised him. And it said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? You know, suddenly hope, hope just exploded in their hearts, you know? Such a great story. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem us. The hope of the Messiah was in the psyche of every Jewish person. They they had the Bible. They had scriptures. They They heard the prophets speaking and read in synagogues week after week. They knew these promises and they pinned all their hopes on him coming. And and to think, you know, there was there was a, a whole group that believed Jesus was the Messiah and now they'd killed him and buried him and he was dead for three days. And, uh, you know, Easter, he's risen and it's all about hope. You know, Paul says there are three virtues that will endure. Three. These are the top three, not the top 40 charts. This is top three. It says, he said, so now faith, hope and love abide. These three. These are the top three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, we all get that love love tops the list, doesn't it? You know, without love, we're nothing. Without love, we're just a bunch of noise. Without love, love, we ain't got church. 
without love for one another, except the love of God's in our heart, except we lay down our lives for our, for our, our people, except we, God puts us together and pours his love into our hearts, we've got nothing. Love tops the list. We all agree with that. Faith gets good coverage, doesn't it? A lot of people preach on faith from the pulpit here. You turn on any pod, podcast, how many messages will be on faith? I don't know what the stats are, but it gets up there really high. But hope? I don't know. I think hope fails to get the weight that the Bible gives it. Um, you know, hope is essential to life. There was a Scottish guy 250 years ago who had this saying that's been repeated by many people, including Elvis, and it says, the three essentials of happiness are something to do. Not good. It's not good when you don't have a job, is it? I remember when I didn't have a job for a while once and was sort of between things and getting my hair cut, you know, and the barbers, you know how they like to talk to you, you know? He's chatting, he says, so what do you do? And I said, well, you know, almost gone into depression, you know? We need something to do. Um, something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. It's essential. It's essential to our well-being. Prisoners of wars will tell you that um, you read their accounts, they'll say you can survive weeks without food, days without water, but only minutes without hope. If they lose their hope, they are crushed. You know, they just go south from there. Psychologists will tell you this as well. If you lose hope, you're crushed. This is, you, you can read about this online. There's a few different accounts of it, but the psychologists did these tests on wild rats. Not your average house rat. They did it on wild rats, tough rats, resilient rats, Great swimmers, you know? These were real rats like us, you know? Had some guts in them, you know? The rats of Tobruk, I don't know, but they were real rats. And they put them in water jars, okay? Just picture it. In they go, blonk, go the rats. They swim for a few minutes and then they, they do some diving, you know? These guys can swim in that. But all of a sudden, they must realise... We are trapped in here and all hope is gone. And they start to panic and they drown within minutes. Within minutes, they're gone. Anyway, they got some more rats. A bit, bit hard on the rats, this story. But anyway, they got some more wild rats and they put them in the jar again. Put them in the water jars. But they did something different. When these rats began to panic... The guy reached in just at that moment, their panic, and, and he, pulls, he pulls them out, dries them off, gives them a feed, comforts them, and then he puts them back in again after a little while. Second time, they last 18 minutes. A bit different. They, they repeat this, this process with these rats. Eventually... One report I read said they lasted 37 hours. Other reports you read online, they say they lasted weeks, you know. The point is it's the power of hope, the power of hope. Because the rats knew that there was a hand that was coming down to lift them up 
They kept swimming and they didn't give up. They just worked it out, you know. You know, we undervalue hope because we have a secular understanding of hope instead of a biblical understanding of hope. Secular hope is optimism. Now, I'm an optimistic guy, you know, at times, but I can get discouraged and you can lose hope, you know, and you can have, you, you can think it's just, I hope so. I hope it'll work out. Um, the strength of my hope is determined by the, my own desire. You know, there's lots of things in the world, you know, they, 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 they attach this thing about hope for. You know, I, I often thought about the US election years ago, Obama. He was a great speaker. I mean, he was inspiring. Built his whole campaign on a stump message about hope, didn't he? He inspired hope. But uh, it's not biblical hope. Biblical hope, um, uh, where a secular hope has this element of uncertainty. I hope so. You know, I hope it works out. You know, that's where I'm hoping. You know, it's perhaps it'll happen. But biblical hope, it's an element in there. It's certainty. It's certainty. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised will happen. You know, it's so different. You know, hope is, it's this certain thing, you know. You talk to a Christian, you know, we, we should be the most hopeful people on the face of the earth. We should have that confident expectation that God will always come good on his word, he'll always come through for us, that he can be totally relied on. Biblical hope does not simply desire something to happen, it expects it to happen. Biblical hope is the firm assurance about things that are even unclear to me, they're unclear, or they're you know, they might appear uncertain, but I have a confident expectation of good. That's biblical hope. This is what Paul said. He says, now hope that is seen is, is not hope. So, you know, it's not hope just, okay, I can see that that's happened. You know, hope is still about these things that are unseen. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We hang in there. We don't panic. We don't panic. You know, the other thing I thought about biblical hope, it's relational. It's relational. It's not positive thinking. It's not just some proposition you've put to me. Oh, well, perhaps this is true. You can put your hope in it. No, no, no. It's relational. We're singing here today and getting excited because we've met the king. He's, he's not just... Um, it's not just we've heard about him risen. He, he's come to live in our hearts. We know he's there and there's hope in our hearts. It says, blessed, this is what Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a living hope. It's a living, confident expectation of good. If anyone should have hope, it's us. We should have it. I don't know how, if we, without a relationship with Jesus, I don't know where else you get hope. 
I don't know. This is what Paul said. He talks about the Gentiles, people that were outside of the faith. He says, remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. You know, Job, Job, Job said, they that forget God... All hope perishes. You know, the, the more you get away from God, the less hope you got. The closer you get to God, the more hope is in your heart. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought close to God through the blood of Jesus because of what he's done for us. And as we, as we have a relationship with God, we have hope. It's just part of the package. It says, this is what Paul said as well, to a a church that was in grief over people that they'd lost, that had died. I lost my mum a few weeks ago, had to farewell her. But, you know, the greatest thing is we have hope. And this is what Paul said. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those that have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. The Christian has hope. You know, I was thinking about a picture of hope, and it, I mean, this might be a childish sort of one for me, but I was thinking about, you ever remember those toys as a kid that you'd punch them, you know what I mean, and they would go down and they'd bounce back up? I, I tried to find, I was nearly going to try and buy one and bring it here and start punching that thing, but um, I couldn't get one. Anyway, they, they often call them like punching clowns. You know, you can never knock these guys out. You know, punch them as a kid, punch them, and they just bounce back. They just bounce back. Why? Because of something that's in the bottom of them, you know? It's like David in Psalms. says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, we have this self-talk that happens because we've got Jesus inside of us. We have a relationship with him. Hope is relational. It's not about up here. It's something in here where we have something in us. We, we, we might get knocked down, but something in us starts to talk to us saying, why are you cast down? Why are you like this? Why are you discouraged? Hope in God. God's with you. That changes the picture Automatically. What about some self-talk? This is where the Bible just comes, springs out of our heart when we know the scriptures. I don't know how many times I've heard that little voice say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, if he's with me, that changes the whole picture. You know, um, go through something and, you know, you feel you're knocked down and suddenly this voice says, I'm an ever-present help in time of trouble. You know, there's hope. It, 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 it's not uncertain. It's not, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope you're around, God, because I do need you, you know. No, no, it's, he's here, he's with me, and I can put my hope in him. He's a living hope. No matter what we're facing, we can always have hope. Hope is not um, some logical equation. It's relational. It's certain. 
The other thing that I thought about with hope being um, uh, relational is it's developed. It actually grows. L- l- listen to this, what Paul says. There's so much about hope in the scriptures. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We don't like to talk about suffering too much, but it happens, doesn't it? It happens for us all. We all get tough stuff. And just being born on this planet, like Job says, man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upwards. You know, you're just, you're just part of the package. We rejoice. Oh, that sounds crazy. Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I remember a verse I read when I was very young in the Lord, and it was... um, he, 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 he will never put to shame those that hope in him, you know. The hope of God never puts us to shame. He, he, he never lets us down. And the picture here is, you know, hope comes out of suffering. And because suffering produces, if we hang in there, it produces endurance in us. We, we've got to stick it out in stuff. We've got to stick it out with God and we put our hope in him Something happens. Endurance gets built into our lives. Out of that comes character. There's some maturity that happens to the Christian as they hang in with God. And out of that character comes this, this thing that's of immense value called hope. And, uh, you know, it grows and it's developed. It's, it's relational. Happiness, you know, is based on circumstances. But joy... It's there irrespective of circumstances. Hope is the same. Hope is not dependent on something that's happening just in our head. It's something that's relational. We should always have hope. And I just want to share a couple of things um, about what you can always have hope for. Just a couple of quick things. Hey, there's Deb down the back. Give Debbie a big wave. She's going to kill me for that. I hoped to see Deb here one day. (laughs) Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what it says. For I know the plans... What I was going to say, the first thing you can have hope for is hope for your future. You can have hope for your future. Let me tell you, you have a relationship with Jesus. You have him down deep on the inside... You know, whatever happens, whatever goes on, you can have hope for your future. This is what the Jeremiah said, the good man. And I tell you, he was suffering. He was, he's one guy that did it tough. And he says, and this is what God's word of the Lord came. And it came to a people that were in exile. Came to a people that were suffering. Came to a people that... Uh, had sort of missed the mark with God and they were being called back to their covenant, called back to their relationship with God and they were, for the time being, they were in exile, in Babylon, out of their own land, place where they could not sing the song of the Lord, place where they were discouraged, place that was tough. They wanted to get back home 
and they were happy to listen to prophets saying, you know, it's all going to be good, you can go home. They were ready to escape. But God was telling them to settle down, just stick it out here for a time, um, build some homes, have some kids, 70 years, I'll take you back home. You know, he made a promise to them. But in this word from Jeremiah, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, you know, plans for their good, not for evil. God is never about doing us wrong. He's always about doing us good. He said to give you a future and a hope. You can always have hope for your future. His plans were for good. And how does, you know, that so speaks to me because for Christians, we can find ourselves sometimes in circumstances beyond our control. We can be overwhelmed by the challenges we face. And we can, we can be a little bit like that rat. We can start to panic. We can start to panic. We can feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, my tank is empty. I can't go on. And we feel hopeless. But the truth is, God always has a plan, it's always good, and you don't need to panic, you just need to lock yourself in, get close to the Lord, start working on your relationship with him, and have the hope that's in your heart of a confident expectation of good, because God has a plan, he's with me, he's for me, he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me, he's with me, he's an ever-present help in trouble, and God is good. I can always have hope for my future. I can put my hope in Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a perhaps, it's a certainty. This is what David said in Psalms. He said, where would I be if I did not believe? I would experience the Lord's favour in the land of the living. Where would we be if we let go of our hope? We need to keep our hope. The other thing we can have hope for is eternity. Hey, that's a good one, isn't it? I tell you. And it's not just about, it's not just about pie in the sky, future. It's about now. There's something in our hearts that's connected to eternity. It talks about hope. You know, the image for the Christian in the Bible for hope was an anchor. There's something anchored into heaven in eternity that we've just got ourselves attached to when we come to know the Lord. C.S. Lewis says, if you study history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. There's something in us that's attached to to heaven. Um, The writer to he... uh, Hebrews, who also wrote to a people that were discouraged and wanting to give up and wanting to let go of their hope. He said this to them, hold fast to the hope set before you. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But the whole picture here, there's an image here of Jesus as a forerunner and he talks about he's gone ahead of us, he's risen from the dead 
and he's ascended and he's gone ahead of us and he's in heaven and he's anchored somewhere. He is an anchor into an... um, When they talked about these anchors, they used to have in the sea there, in the Mediterranean Sea, they used to have these huge rocks that they'd embed into the ground. And they used to call these rocks an anchorora or something, but it was an anchor. And as the ships would come and if the seas were rough, um, there would be these forerunners. And they would, they would be on a little boat with an anchor. And they would come on ahead and they'd row into the arbor and they'd secure their anchor to the great rock. And once attached and secured, they knew that they could safely get into port. Jesus is our forerunner. He's gone ahead of us. He's our anchor. He's an anchor to our soul. He's our hope. He's immovable. He's unchanging. And he can pull us safely home. And that's what, that's what hope is. It's an anchor to our soul. That's what Jesus is to us. The last one I'd like to talk about, and I've got a little story to read, um, which we, we're, we're going to take the Lord's table. We're going to remember him. I just wonder if Sarah and Stuart, would you like to come and take these around for us? Would you honour us this morning and do that? There's a glove in each of these little bread and and wine or whatever they are. Um, You put a glove on and just pick a side and you have to give give everyone one because we're not supposed to go all putting our hands in in the pot. Sarah and Stuart will just pass that around and I might tell a story. Oh, Stewie. Stewie. I knew, I knew, I'd, get, I knew I'd get something wrong here. We'll, we'll get close. That'll do, Stewie. It'll work. He's an improviser, Stewie. Ne- never gives up hope. <laughs> Nothing phases him. The power... The, the last thing I want to say that you can have hope for is you can have hope for others. You can have hope for people. What do I mean by this? We're singing today about the power of the resurrection. We're singing about the change it's made in our lives. We've experienced a living hope. It's delivered us from sin. It has changed us. It gives us hope. I mean, have you got hope in your heart today? Have you got that certainty deep in you? You could get hit today by something going on and you'd, you know, eventually you'd bounce back because there's something in you that's connected to God and he's the God of all hope and Jesus is our hope. But with that certainty comes this confidence that what God's done for me, he can do for others. He can do it for them. You know, there's something about... Um, we had, you know, I've I found this of late. There's someone you sort of they start they start to do, you start to form a friendship. You meet someone, they unpack their lives a little, and suddenly there's a door where you can share your faith. And suddenly inside you, there's this. No matter what their situation is, there's this confidence in your heart. God can change that. God can God can God can deliver you. God can make a difference in your life. God could totally change your circumstance. That's what, 
That's what reaches out to them. That's God. That's, he is the God of all hope. No situation is hopeless. No one, no one is beyond hope. If Jesus, if you would give Jesus access to your life, if you would open a door, it says he stands at the door and knocks, and if you open to him, he'll come in and fellowship with you. He'll come in and make the difference that you need. Everything would change. I want to read you a little story while these are going around. It's about a guy who was called, they used to call him the son of Sam. Has anyone ever heard of him? Son of Sam. He was, if you're our age, if you're my age, you remember the stories about this guy. This guy was in New York and he was a serial killer and he was absolutely mad. He'd been involved in the occult and he was killing people. Killed six, terrorised the whole city and, 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 and shot many more and was in jail. They caught him. He, th- this is the story, his story in his own words. You can watch him online. He tells his story. He says, my name is David Berkowitz and I am a prison inmate who has been incarcerated in 1977. I've been sentenced to prison for the rest of my life. My criminal case is well known and I was called the son of Sam shootings. Ten years later in 1987 when I was living in a cold and lonely prison cell, God got hold of my life. Here's my story of hope. This is his story. I'm not sure how much I'll read. I'll pick out bits. He's talked about ever since I was a small child, my life seemed to be filled with torment. He'd often have fits, it says, and he would roll on the floor. The furniture would get knocked around. When these attacks came, it felt as though something was after me. My mother, who's long since passed away, had no control of me. It was like I was like a wild and destructive animal. My dad had to pin me on, on the floor until these attacks stopped. Talked about when he went to school, he was violent and disrupted and the teachers would get so mad, mad with him, just went on. He said he'd get into lots of fights. Sometimes he'd just start to scream at, at, at everyone. He went to therapy, had no effect, it said. During this period of my life, I was plagued with bouts of severe depression. When this feeling came over me, I would hide under my bed for hours. I would also lock myself in a closet and sat in total darkness from morning until the afternoon. I had a craving for the darkness and I felt an urge to flee away from people. This, this guy was troubled. Goes on to when he got a job. Um, yeah, he just couldn't hold, you know, he, he didn't know what to do. He, it says he began to have thoughts of suicide would come into his mind. He had a powerful urge, he says at times, to step in front of a car or throw himself in front of a train. At times those urges were so strong that my body would begin to tremble. I remember that there was this uh, continuous struggle for me to take hold of my sanity. I had no idea 
what to do, and, and my parents did as well. They had, they had me talk to a rabbi, teachers, to schools, but nothing worked. Then when he was four, uh, 14, it said his mother was stricken with cancer and within several months she was dead. He talked about how from there his life just went downhill, as if it could get any lower, eh? I felt filled with ang- 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 anger at the loss of my mum. I felt hopeless and my periods of depression were more intense than ever. Then he went into the army. He did three years in there. I guess he was looking for, for something to steady him. He got out of there in 74, but then he met some guys and got involved in the occult. Talks about that, about his involvement with the occult. Um, began to do all sorts of stuff with that. He realised, he said, I was being slowly deceived. Then he said, the horror begins. Eventually I crossed that invisible line of no return. After years of mental torment and all the things that he'd gone through, his inner struggles and his rebellion, he became a criminal. And at that time it seemed that that was my destiny. Talks about how six people lost their lives and many more suffered at my hand and continued in you to suffer for a lifetime. I'm so sorry for that. He's quite remorseful. In 1978, I was sentenced to 365 years of jail. I was declared temporarily insane uh, as well for a time. And then he was in prison. It was a struggle. He had problems. He tried to share harassals fights. At one time he nearly lost his life when someone else in the jail cut his throat. You'd think this guy's life was hopeless, wouldn't you? Think it was without hope. But hope was coming. Hope was chasing this guy. It says 10 years, 10 years in jail by this stage, in my prison sentence and feeling despondent and without hope, another inmate came to me one day as I was walking the prison yard, on a cold winter's night. This other guy had hope in his heart. This other guy, I reckon, had a certainty that God could make a difference, that you are not without hope. Nothing is hopeless. Although I knew... uh, Sorry, he he introduced himself and began to tell me that Jesus Christ loved me and wanted to forgive me. Although I knew he meant well, I mocked him because I did not think that God could ever forgive me or that he would want anything to do with me. Still this man persisted and we became friends. His name was Rick and we would walk the yard together. Little by little he would share with me about his life and what he believed Jesus had done for him. He kept reminding me that no matter what, a person did. Christ stood ready to forgive if that individual would be willing to turn from the bad things they were doing and would put their full faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross by dying for our sins. The guy got the gospel, didn't he? You know, simple as that. He gave me Gideon's Bible and asked me to read the Psalms. I did it every night. I would read from them. And it was at this time that the Lord was quietly melting 
the stone-cold heart. One night, I was reading Psalm 34. I came to the sixth verse, which says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. You know, just a word from God. It was at that moment in 1987 that I began to pour out my life to God. Everything seemed to hit me at once. The guilt from what I did, the disgust at what I had become. Late that night in my cold cell, I got down on my knees and began to cry out to Jesus Christ. I told him that I was sick and tired of doing evil. I asked him to forgive me for all my sins. I spent a good while on my knees praying to him. When I got up, it felt as if a heavy but invisible chain that had been around me for so many years was broken. A peace flooded over me. I did not understand what was happening, but in my heart, I just knew that my life somehow was going to be different. He got hope, didn't he? He got Jesus. His life changed. And um, it goes on that he began an outreach in that jail. He began to preach to people. He began to run Bible classes for, for prisoners. Uh, I don't know what age he'd be now. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. But that guy um, just went on to change other lives because Jesus had changed his life. I just want to say today, because of this, because of what Jesus did for us, because he died for us, because he is our hope, because uh, he's done that, we can have hope for our future. We can have hope for um, eternity. We've got hope for his return as well. But above all else, we can have hope for people. We can have hope for Kabulcha. We can have hope for your neighbour. You can have hope for the difficult student at school. You can have hope for your relatives. Your hope is something that's certain and it's just like an anchor to your soul and it's, um, we're just singing about hope today. The resurrection is the bedrock of our hope. And all our hope hinges on the fact that he's risen. And I just, uh, I'm just, I need one of those things. If there's one, thanks, Ben. This is about his body and his blood shed for us. How exciting, eh? How exciting to know him. We can have hope today, hope for our future, hope for forever. And hope for people that we're reaching out to. I just want you to meditate on that today. I want you just to hold this in your hands. Just agree with me as we, as we give thanks. Lord, we want to thank you today. Lord, for your sacrifice for us. All those songs we sang, they're so true. They're our song. Lord, you have changed our lives. You've delivered us. Lord, where we thought we were without hope, Lord, you came and met with us and you came into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that this poor man, Lord, every one of us, this poor man cried, and, and you heard us, and you delivered us out of all our troubles. We thank you today, you're risen from the dead, that that stone is rolled away, and our hope is in you, and we just give you thanks today for your sacrifice, 
and for and just give you thanks for all that you've done for us and all you're going to do in Jesus name amen let's just receive this morning we're going to going to drink this cup and it's his blood because you know it, this all came with a price i don't know i mean how do you imagine going through what Jesus went through? Just as real as the resurrection was, you know, or is, it is, it's a present reality. He's in our hearts. But that reality, the cross was too. That's not a story. That's Jesus dying for us. I just want you to drink this and remember him and appreciate him this morning. Just hang on to these. We'll, we'll have an em- empty thing at the door. You can drop them as you go. I'm just so thankful to be able to talk about hope today. It just so excites me because, because we have hope. Jesus always comes through for us, doesn't he? Always comes through. We should never be like those little rats panicking at one minute. We shouldn't even be panicking panicking at three weeks or seven weeks. We should just hang on to him, keep our hope in him. He never disappoints us. He never deceives us. He never disillusions us. We're never without hope. No matter how bad things get, we can always have hope. And um, the resurrection is such a story of hope. You know, the big thing is there may have been a pause. The whole thing about the resurrection is those guys that were walking on that road, they'd lost their hope. They'd lost it. And um, they were seeing Friday where he died. And then he got buried. And they thought after one day, after two days, after three days, you know, all hope is gone. And there often is a pause between, you know, we think our promises, we think the hope that we have in God, we think that what God has promised to us or whatever it is, we think it's died. But I tell you, keep our hope in him. He will rise. He always does rise. Sunday is coming. God always has the last word. The final act always belongs to him. And that is a resurrection. My last little thought, because uh, I love this story. I've shared it quite a few times, but I love it. It's about the battle of Waterloo. And the English were engaged against the French under Napoleon. And they used to put the message up to relay the message of the war results. They didn't have face, Facebook at these times. So they would put, maybe they communicated by smoke or something, but they'd get a message to the cathedral and they'd have this sign that would go up. And uh, the thing is, the day they were putting the sign up, there was a fog coming in to, Lon- to London. So up comes the message, Wellington defeated. Wellington, if you don't know, was the British guy. So Wellington defeated. So all their hope starts to go. But soon the fog 
began to lift and the rest of the message was there. Wellington defeated the enemy. You know, and uh, the, the cross can be a bit like that. The cross can be like the fog settled in. And, you know, you think your hope is all gone. But the resurrections, the fog's lifted. And we know that Jesus has won it. He's won it for us. And our hope is in him. Our hope is in God. And the fog will always lift. Let me tell you, the fog will always lift. God will always come through. And he is our hope. God bless you. Well, I'll hand over to Ben.